weeks here. And uh, I know it's, it's a challenging topic sometimes because uh, there are a lot of singles uh, here. We don't call this the male valley for nothing, right? <laughs> so some of you are going, ah, man, it's not for me. But it, but it is for you for a couple of reasons. One, you might get married. It could be. So now you've got some tools in your tool belt for that. Two, you know someone who is married, right? And this is what often happens. The people who are married and are going through a tough time will talk with their single friends. Because they'll be like, so what are you doing Friday night? And, they'll be like, and you'll be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to go out with my friends, the band playing, I'm going to go see them. And, you, and your married friend will say, oh, I'm watching Frozen for the 10th time Friday night. I wish I was like you. And you can share with them, and you can encourage them and say, hey, no, there's some good stuff going on with your marriage. And some of you have kids who are getting married. And so you can pass this on to them. It's all good stuff. And singleness is rising in America. There are more singles, or percentage-wise, there are more singles in America than there ever has been ever. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not like the Bible says, thou shalt marry. How's oh, good timing? <laughs> right? It never says that. In fact, it says the opposite, right? It says, if you work in the church, it's a good idea if you don't get married. So the Bible says, it's probably best for me if I'm not married. But then it says, but it's better to marry than to burn with passion, as Paul puts it. Sorry, folks, I am married. It's better for you, it's much better for me, all right? But singleness is rising in America. But the, the trend, or the rationale behind this trend, is what's disturbing. Singles believe that as a whole, married couples are, for the most part, unhappy. They do. When we talk to singles, a lot of them will say, yeah, I get married, but I, the married people I know complain about it. And so I don't want to get married. Singles will often uh, cite a fear of commitment and potentially get, getting divorced. And they'll say, well, you know, 50% of marriages result in divorce. That's a stat. Because how, many, how many of you have heard that? 50% of marriages result in divorce. Yep. It's a common stat that's thrown around. It's not true. It's not a true stat. Here's the reality. In fact, one single said this to me. I've got a 50% chance of messing up my life. Why take the risk? And so that's the thought process that's going on in our world today. Here's the truth about marriage. 62% of married couples report being very happy in their marriage. 62%, very happy. Not only that, but longitudinal studies, specifically from the University of Chicago, have found that of couples who say their marriage is very unhappy, within the next five years, two-thirds of those couples will rate their marriages as being happy if they stay married together and just stick it out. They stick it out, Two-thirds of them say, yep, we're better than we were five years ago. That's really encouraging. The divorce rate is really about 40% in America. But if you take people who attend college and get married after college, that rate plummets to 30%. Now, if you take that same couple, and if they don't live together before marriage, it drops even more. If you take that same couple, and if they go to church on a regular basis, not they say they're Christian, that doesn't count, 
they go to church on a regular basis, then that rate plummets even more. And so the odds of having a great marriage are very, very good if you start smart and you work smart. We'll talk about working smart here. Marriage has an interesting beginning. So we read Genesis chapter 1, right? First book of the Bible. And it has this awesome beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? <laughs> Big picture. And it details how God does that. And it says that God is responsible for every single atom in the universe. God is first cause. And then it says God rested because wouldn't you after creating the universe? And the very next thing God does is officiate a wedding. It doesn't say that in so many words, but the Bible says, but for Adam, oh no, God says for this first, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. And here's the funny thing. Adam was not alone. Adam, before the fall, enjoys an incredible relationship with God. Adam is not alone. And yet God says, you know what? There needs to be someone, well, more like Adam. And so God does this object lesson. He parades all the animals in front of Adam for Adam to name. And at the end of that, the text says, but no suitable helper for Adam was found. And you're like, well, of course. You know, giraffe, no. Cow, no. Dog, maybe. Nah, right? And the text says that God caused Adam, Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And some of you know this. The text says that God takes Adam's rib, right? Is that how you learned it? Takes his rib. The Hebrew there is really tricky. Because the word for rib is only used twice in the entire Old Testament. And the other time when it's used in the Bible, it means side. So I think it's more accurate to say that God, God cleaves Adam to make Eve. That God does not take a part of Adam's like foot so that Adam is above Eve. God does not take a part of Adam's shoulder or head so that Eve is above Adam. He cleaves Adam. They are partners, side by side. Figuratively and literally in Adam's case. And what does Adam do? He wakes up and breaks out in song. I mean, he is singing. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Right? He breaks out in a poem. It's not quite like matchmaker, matchmaker. It's not that catchy. But he breaks out in song. Why does God say it's not good for Adam to be alone? And this is my, what I think. I think the reason is this. Is that God wants Adam to have a relationship because God is, in God's very nature, in relationship. We talk about the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Genesis 2 it says, Let us make man in our image. 
God in his very nature is in relationship. We see this especially in the Gospel of John. So we do a text here. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, he was with God in the beginning. So Jesus, the Son of God, is in relationship with God the Father. Next text here, Dave. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may, all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. So God the Father, God the Son are in relationship. And it's a tight relationship. They are together. And in marriage, God says, you know what? I want your marriage to reflect me. Next text. Jesus said, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. It's an incredibly close relationship. And so marriage is to be designed to be that type of relationship, to mirror or to imitate the triune God. And this is why Jesus says the two will become one flesh to mirror that relationship. But there are forces, there are forces in this world that will try to divide a couple. It will try to divide a marriage so it does not reflect that Trinitarian Godhead. And those forces are sin, the world, Satan, our sinful flesh, in-laws and your own kids. They will work to do this on you. And they are brilliant at it. My daughter was so good at it. Oh, she still is good at it. And she, she has the daddy voice, right? How I many of you have daughters? You know the daddy voice, right? Right, your daughter will come up to you and say, Daddy, could you do this? And I would fall for it every single time. And my wife would look at me and say, did you know I told her no about that? And I'd be like, oh, that's why she turned on the daddy voice. Now it's all becoming clear. They work to do that. But we don't really need help from our kids in dividing couples. Because we're pretty good at it on our own. And this is how it happens. You meet that special person. And she's beautiful. She's smart. She's fun to be with. And, and not only that, she, she actually likes you, right? She thinks you're funny. She doesn't think you're too skinny. She thinks you're aerodynamic, right? I'm like, yes! This is fantastic, finally. And then you have those great words that if you don't say them out loud, you think them in your head. You think, she completes me. Right? She completes me. And the girls, they do the same exact thing. Ah, oh, he completes me. He is everything I am not. And we are perfect together. And pretty soon, you've lifted 
this, this girl to God-like status. She completes me. And then what happens? You get married. You marry your soulmate who completes you. And then after a couple months, maybe a little bit longer, you discover this interesting fact that your soulmate is just as messed up as you are. You're like, what's wrong with this person? And you realize this person's got issues. Before, she was an incredible listener. And now, she's just really quiet. Right? But before, he was so easy to talk to. And now, he just talks all the time about himself, and he's so self-centered. I can't tell you how many conversations my wife has sat through about my fantasy football team. That poor woman. No, that's okay. Uh-huh. I care deeply about your fantasy football team. And you know what happens is when our gods let us down, we get really disappointed and really disillusioned. Because we've taken this person and we've lifted them up to here. We've put them on a pedestal that they were never meant to be and could never fulfill. And then we say, oh, wait a minute, this person isn't this high. There's problems with this person. Maybe I married the wrong person. Maybe this person isn't my soulmate. So Stanley Howers, he's a professor at Duke University, he wrote this. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married to. That's how he puts it. So how can, how can we make that cord of three strands not easily broken? How can we walk in marriage with our spouse and with God who has ordained and started and gifted marriage with us. Here's some ideas, and this is a large part from Jimmy Evans. <laughs> Gotta make marriage the priority. Not a priority. Marriage has to be the priority. Next to God, it's the second most important relationship in your life. If you have kids, the best thing you can do is to love your spouse. The best thing you can do is to let your kids know that they're not the most important thing in your life. They're third. So you've got your spouse. Kids are next. Because what we found is that couples are the happiest early on in their marriage. And then they have kids. And kids are hard. They're hard. My daughter's right here right now. She's off at college, so I can tell you this. My brother and his wife came over to help us one time, and Emma was a month old. And we said, please just hold her in the middle of the night because we can't sleep. And Emma was up from 1 a.m. to 7 a.m. She's awake the entire time. My brother hands her back to me at 7 a.m., finally asleep. 
And he says to me, I took a picture of your child. I'm going to put it on my mirror to remind me, keep using the birth control. <laughs> I'm like, dude, tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are hard. Hard. And then marital, sat marital satisfaction decreases anymore, decreases even more when those kids become teenagers. Because now they're not, they're hard and expensive. And then after they, they leave to get the empty nest, and in the empty nest, marital satisfaction increases just a little bit. But it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be the best at something when we first start out. We should be the best at something as we get more and more experience. And the way to do that is to make marriage a priority. Because what happens is you get the kids, and typically what happens, generally, not always, but generally, <laughs> the husband focuses more on work and the wife focuses more on kids. And there's a separation there. So you have to prove in real terms that your spouse is second only to God in your life. And one way you do that is through sacrifice. If your spouse says, I think you love X more than me, it's time to make a change. Um, if there's a hobby that's getting in the way, it's got to go. If there's friends or family getting in the way, they got to be put boundaries on them. <laughs> Uh, if you're working crazy hours, something's got to change. Um, I remember. Oh, no, so that's first. You've got to sacrifice. Second thing is time. So if money is the commodity in business, so if I want to make sure your business fails, I restrict your access to money. But in relationship, time is the commodity of relationship. So if I want to make sure your relationship fails, I steal your time. That'll work. It'll do, the, it'll do it every single time. And so you have to sacrifice some things in your life to say, you know what? You are first. These other things, they are, they are far down the list. You have to sacrifice some time. You put time into it. When Heather and I were first married, um, I was at the church in California, and uh, I'd been working hard to be a pastor. And so I finally was a pastor. And so I was... I was working too many hours. And um, I was doing great. I thought things were fantastic. I was doing what I finally loved to do. Uh, it was great. And so um, it, was, uh, it was Christmas. And I'm not very good at giving gifts. And I said to my wife, what would you like for Christmas? And she said, I want you to buy me a calendar. Calendar? I want you to buy me a calendar. And once a month, in pen, I want you to write down a night when you're going to take me out. And you're going to find a sitter for these kids. And you're going to take me out somewhere. I don't care where. But you're going to be in charge of it and you're planning it. And you're not going to cancel it. And I went to the bedroom. I got on my knees. And I repented. Because I was communicating to my wife that she was not my priority. It takes time, it takes sacrifice. It also takes pursuit. You pursue each other. 
So when you're dating, this is easy. I remember when I was in college, and I was an RA on a freshman dorm. And it wasn't pretty. Because these dudes, like the, the alarm clock would go off, right? And these dudes would roll out of bed, they would put on a hat, a shirt, pants, and go to class. Maybe they would go to the bathroom, maybe not, but they'd go straight to class. They wouldn't brush their hair, they wouldn't brush their teeth. It was nasty. It was so bad that one time, me and another guy had to go to this one dorm and say, dudes, you have to do your laundry. We gag every time we walk past your room. Please, please, please. It was bad. It was bad. Except on Friday nights. <laughs> Friday nights, those guys, they were taking showers. They were all shaving, you know. You know, there was this haze of body spray in the hallway. <laughs> they were right there. They got to look good on Friday nights, you know. They put so much work into it. And then... What happens? Yeah. Get married, you stop trying as hard. I got the girl. I got the guy. I have to try as hard. And we tell ourselves, if I marry the right person, the emotions will continue on. If I marry my soulmate, then my emotions won't change. And they just do. Do. And so the second law of marriage is pursuit. To pursue each other. Husbands often pursue their wives. And it's usually to get out of trouble. Right? You're like, you, mess, you do something wrong, you mess up, you're like, oh, now I'm going to take you out someplace nice. <laughs> or now I'm going to do this for you. Right? I remember when my wife and I were first married, and I had this great idea. See, usually for her birthday, I would do something really special. Usually, like one time, I got this extra spare dorm room, and I created this restaurant, I made hand-wrote menus, I got my friends to be the waiters and deliver us the food, right? right? That's what I used to do. But after we got married, I realized that her birthday was right by the Super Bowl. <laughs> and it wouldn't be a great idea to invite my buddies over for the Super Bowl, and then we could sing her happy birthday during halftime. Thank God I'm still married, right? <laughs> yeah, I made up for that one. She went out someplace nice the next week. Pursuit. When Heather and I were married, we were young, we had little kids, you know, we, we didn't have any money. And so my wife made up end dates. Called them end dates. So once a month, uh, she'd give me uh, an end date. So one end date was um, after we put the kids to bed, she sat down and watched Monday Night Football with me and got me Doritos. That was special, right? And watch football, eat their Doritos. That was our date night. One time we went to the library and got a book on tape. We just turned off the lights and listened to a book on tape. Because that's all we could afford, right? But it was okay. Because we were pursuing one another. So in your marriage... Don't wait for your spouse to make the first move. Just make the first move. Don't wait. One of the best statements that God has ever spoken is in John chapter 3. 
It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. And one of the things I love about that, that great word of love is that it has those two themes. It has that demonstrates priority. For God so loved. That's priority, right? And then it also demonstrates pursuit. For God so loved the world that he gave. God puts you a priority. You are God's number one priority. And two, he pursues you. God so loves you that he gave. And marriage is to reflect that Trinitarian relationship. And also, marriage is to receive the priority and the pursuit of God. So that in your marriage, you receive that. You receive God's presence, his forgiveness, because you need it, and his grace. So that you, in turn, can share that with the one whom God has given to you. It's true in every relationship. Every relationship is supposed to reflect that. But it's especially true in marriage. And so, my prayer for you is that you rest. You rest in the fact that God has made you his number one priority. You enjoy the pursuit of God in your life. And that you're able to share that with those around you, your friends, your family, and especially your spouse. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord God, we, we lift up marriage today. We lift up marriages here. We lift up marriages in the valley, Lord. We lift up marriages of our, of our kids, of our friends. And Lord God, um, like all gifts, marriage is a, is a great gift and, and, and sometimes a huge responsibility. And so, Lord, um, I pray that you would look upon marriages in, in this place and in, in this valley, Lord, and that you would bless them. And, Lord, that in turn, those spouses would serve each other. Even those times when they don't feel like serving each other. They would serve one another because you have pursued us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand and sing your closing song here. Closing song today, Hosanna.